Well, hello there, listeners. Welcome back. My name is Stephanie Safarian. You're listening to another episode of Headlines. On today's show, as we do with all headlines, I'm giving you four news stories that relate to the environment or conscious consumption or consumer habits in under 15 minutes. First, I'm taking you to Tornado Alley here in the United States, then we're stopping in Oregon and Paris, and then finally, our feature story today brings us to the Niger Delta. So let's start in Tornado Alley. Climate change may indeed be influencing tornadoes. Tornadoes killed over two dozen people here in the United States last week, and climate change moving forward may have something to do with changing tornadoes and tornado seasons. It has long been known that climate change results in increased precipitation and more powerful heat waves. Warm, moist air is a key ingredient for developing severe tornadoes, and climate change may impact tornadoes in three important ways. The first way, of course, is maybe more tornadoes. A recent study found that by the year 2100, the average number of those rotating storms that are known to create tornadoes will increase in the United States by 6.6%, so more tornadoes. Way number two climate change may impact tornadoes is that tornado season may be longer. Traditional tornado season occurs from March through May and then to a lesser extent in October and November. But the study I just referenced suggests that because winters here in the U.S. will get more and more mild, tornadoes may be present more often in the early spring and late fall, so a longer tornado season. And then finally, tornadoes may move further east. Tornado Alley, if you've never heard of Tornado Alley, it's a north to south, well, alley in the Midwest that spans parts of Texas and Oklahoma and Kansas and Nebraska. That's known as Tornado Alley. It's thought that perhaps the tornado risks are going to move to the southeast, so less in Oklahoma and Kansas, and more to the southeast, Louisiana, Mississippi, Arkansas, Tennessee. So that's tornadoes. Let's move right along. Now we are talking about Amazon, and we're going to Oregon. When it comes to caring about the planet, Amazon talks a big talk. The company likes to boast its commitment to renewable energy. It likes to highlight its sustainability initiatives. It even has a climate pledge and says that the company will be fully powered by renewable energy in just two years. But, and this is a big but, there was a climate bill on the table in Oregon and Amazon actively worked to squash it and they succeeded. Let's back up and let's talk about data centers for a minute. The data center industry uses an awful lot of energy because the power requirements, the power it needs to run these gigantic data centers with all these computers and processors. According to the U.S. Department of Energy, the largest data centers here in the U.S. require the amount of power that 80,000 residential homes would use, okay? So they use an awful lot of energy, these data centers. Amazon is planning to create three more data centers in Oregon alone. There was a bill on the table in Oregon that sought to put a 100% carbon emissions reduction deadline of 2040 for high energy users in data centers and cryptocurrency sites like Amazon. Okay, so 2040, that's 17 years away. So this is not some radical bill. 
It gives Amazon and other companies with big data centers 17 years to get their environmental act together. However, Amazon's lobbyists helped organize an opposition to the bill. They nurtured the fear within the Capitol building with the legislators that if the bill passed, they would drive away business and the development of data centers. And so the bill was indeed squashed. So I'm bringing this story to your attention today because, of course, Amazon is a massive energy consumer. Last year, its carbon emissions increased at a rate higher than it ever previously reported. And so my bottom line here today, my take-home message, is that pledges are not the same as action. Walking is not the same as talking. Pledges are meaningless. Pledges are marketing gimmicks. I don't want to hear about pledges from Amazon or any other mega corporation anymore. Let's all demand that these mega polluters don't just talk the talk with their climate pledges, but actually walk the walk by supporting legislation that's supposed to substantially do something good for the environment. We're moving on to Paris, and we are talking about electric scooters. A whopping 89% of voters in Paris voted to ban rental electric scooters. The referendum will go into effect on September 1st, but personal electric scooters are still okay. So let's back up for a minute. In Paris, circa 2018, electric scooters took off. Here in the United States, I know in New York and Boston especially, you can rent bikes. In Boston, I believe they're called city bikes. So, you know, there's all these bikes lined up and you put insert your credit card and you can rent a bike for a couple hours here or there. In Paris, they do that with scooters. So you pull up, you put in your credit card, and you can borrow an electric scooter for however many hours you need it. No longer. As of September 1st, no more rental scooters. Why were 89% of Parisians who voted voting to get rid of electric scooters? I mean, electric scooters sound great for the planet, right? Great to reduce congestion, great for traffic, great for pollution. What's the problem? Well, number one, voters argued that they're dangerous. Many people have died from electric scooters mixing with cars. Parisians argue that they're a nuisance. And finally, the benefits, the perceived environmental benefits, they're questionable. And that's because a study found that for people who are frequently using these electric scooters, if they weren't available to rent, the vast majority of people, over three quarters of people, said they would just use some other low-carbon method of getting to where they need to go, like walking or like using public transport. So the environmental benefits of these scooters are not as gigantic as people thought. Now, this story is not just about Paris, of course. Paris is traditionally regarded as a leader in the evolution of transportation And so, yeah, electric scooters took Paris by storm in 2018, and now in 2023, renting them is now banned. So are other major cities going to follow Paris's example and ban these scooters? We will see. So we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to head to the Niger Delta. We're going to talk about big oil in Nigeria. Stay with me. 
Nothing nurtures the world above better than the soil below, and that's why I am so excited to introduce you to Coast of Maine. Coast of Maine is an organic soil brand that offers a full range of products designed to cover all of your garden and lawn needs. In years past, my vegetable garden, I neglected the soil and I didn't have much yield. If your soil lacks appropriate nutrients for success, your garden may not succeed. And so this year, I am so excited to cultivate the soil before planting the plants with Coast of Maine's organic products. Coast of Maine believes in nurturing relationships with local retailers, so next time you're at your local retailer, look for Coast of Maine products. Get growing. Visit coastofmaine.com to find a local retailer near you, coastofmaine.com. If you've been paying attention, you've likely heard something about gut health and why zoning in on your gut health is so darn important. You need EQ's Daily Women's Microbiome Defense. It's a three-in-one capsule that supports your digestive health and promotes gut barrier protection. I started taking EQ's Daily Women's Microbiome Defense because I have a bloating problem, friends. Yes, I do. Inflammation is not my friend. Since taking one capsule a day on an empty stomach with water, I have noticed more energy, improved skin, and here's the big one, reduced bloating. Head to myeq.com and use code SUSTAINABLE for 15% off Equilibria's microbiome defense and so much more. That's myeq.com and use code SUSTAINABLE at checkout for 15% off site-wide today. And we're back. Our feature story today has to do with Shell, gasoline, and Nigeria, and the implications associated with international companies coming in, taking what they want, in this case, oil and gas, and then leaving. What are the implications of that? For anybody who doesn't know about the Niger Delta, it is a delta in Nigeria. And a delta is, of course, a geographical phenomenon in which a river splits into smaller rivers before flowing into the sea. The Niger Delta and the area around it has long been a oil and gas hotspot. In the 1930s, Shell started exploration there, and Shell exported its first barrel of oil in 1958. Nigeria, by the way, was still a British colony in 1958. And then the other oil giants came in as well, ExxonMobil, Chevron, etc., etc. They arrived in the years that followed. And these agreements between international oil giants and first the colony and then the government of Nigeria proved to be extremely lucrative for not just the international oil companies, but also the Nigerian government. It did nothing or very little, I would say, for everyday average Nigerian citizens. And we're going to talk about the people who are impacted, the citizens in a moment. But the Niger Delta according to the United Nations, soon became, after international oil companies came in, soon became one of the most polluted places on earth. So during its time in Nigeria, citizens said that Shell was not perfect. However, 
Shell did conduct annual inspections, did do maintenance on its infrastructure. And so not perfect, but not terrible either. Fast forward to 2010, Shell started divesting in Nigeria, started selling its infrastructure in Nigeria. It started selling its infrastructure to local Nigerian companies with the goal, and they still have this goal, of leaving Nigeria completely. So why? Why is Shell leaving Nigeria? Well, the main reason is Shell has emissions pledges out there, just like Amazon, right? All these pledges. And when they divest in Nigeria, it's helping the company, Shell, to reduce its greenhouse gas emissions. The main reason for that is because the oil and gas infrastructure in Nigeria is old. And aging and old infrastructure always emits higher levels of carbon per barrel than new infrastructure. So if Shell wants to meet its climate goals, it is going to pull out of the places with the old and aging infrastructure first, because that will give them the most greenhouse bang for their buck, so to speak. Okay, so what's the problem? Shell's leaving. Who cares? The problem is that Shell is selling its infrastructure to local Nigerian companies who Number one, fail to respond quickly to problems like oil spills and explosions. These small companies are less transparent. They make fewer environmental commitments. And greenhouse gas emissions from these sites have dramatically increased since Nigerian companies have taken over. You may recall the Nembi oil spill in 2021 in Nigeria. After the explosion, when oil started spewing into the Santa Barbara River, it took more than a month for the local company who now owns what was once Shell's infrastructure, it took the company over a month to stop the spill. If you're wondering how much oil spilled, it was at least half a million barrels of oil and gas. So what are the implications of this? Well, there's incredible implications for the people who live in this area. Villagers around and near the Nembi oil spill site, villagers went hungry because the spill either poisoned or killed their fish, which is their main source of food. Their wells were contaminated. They had undrinkable water. And so I wanted to bring this up today because one could make the argument that Shell's divestments in Nigeria is actually worse for the planet and for the people who are living there than just staying there and continuing with business as usual. These companies, whether it's Shell or ExxonMobil or any company, really, outside of the oil and gas industry, any company, when these companies come in and take what they want, and what they want in this case, of course, is the fossil fuels that you and me, we all rely on to power our lifestyle. So they come in, they take what they want, and then they leave. And nobody's thinking about the everyday people whose lives and livelihoods are impacted by the coming and goings of these international companies. So that's a really, you know, depressing place to leave it today, but we are going to leave it there. If you're celebrating Passover or Easter, I wish you a wonderful celebration. I will see you next Tuesday with your regularly scheduled interview. See you then. Reach out if you need me and take care.